Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. Today's guest has a new book that just released this week. It's a collaboration with one of Hollywood's most respected writers and directors, Michael Mann. Very cool. The book is entitled Heat 2, and it's getting rave reviews so far, but it's not the first book from my guest. Meg Gardner is the author of 15 acclaimed award-winning novels. Her thrillers have been bestsellers in the U.S. and internationally and have been translated into more than 20 languages. China Lake won an Edgar Award, and her book Unsub, the first in the acclaimed Unsub series, won a Barry Award. Her third Unsub novel, The Dark Corners of the Night, has been bought by Amazon Studios for development as a television series. She's a former lawyer, three-time Jeopardy champion, and two-time president of Mystery Writers of America, and she's joining me today from Austin, Texas. Meg, thanks so much for being here, and congrats on the new book. Hey, thanks so much. It's wonderful to be back, Stephen. Thanks for having me on the show. Now, of course, it always comes up, the Jeopardy champion question. You know, like I introduce a lot of authors and I'll meet a lot of other authors and storytellers. That's the, I think you're the only one that I can say is a Jeopardy champ. Well, um, I just have to ask, do you remember any of the questions or answers that you had to address in, in your Jeopardy thing? I remember uh, a whole lot of questions, actually. The first, yeah, I remember the final Jeopardy for the the, the day that I... Well, uh, what was it? What was the final Jeopardy question? The, uh, the final Jeopardy category was movie classics. Aha. And the question was about uh, the final line from a classic 1939 film. And the line I don't have it exact anymore, but with right. the, line, the final line of this film is, uh, um, I cannot live without my life. I cannot die without my soul, something like that. And you would what? have to name the film. Yeah. So uh, the other two contestants said Gone with the Wind, hmm. which was not the answer. And yeah. I said Wuthering Heights, which was the answer. How about that? That's fun. My wife. Terrific. Yeah. I mean, my wife was never been in Jeopardy, but like she still remembers like in eighth grade or whatever, the word that she missed for the spelling bee, you know, like, so it's like, I wish I would have spelled that or whatever word. And I was just like, you guys are in another, like another league from me. You know, it's like, I don't know. I probably misspelled like, you know, task or something. T-A-Z-K. Like, I don't know, task something. But uh, anyway, no, that's fantastic. That, I'm sure that was pretty interesting and memorable to be on on the show it was fantastic i would encourage anybody who's interested to go on and take a risk and try out because it's oh, so much fun yeah cool um now you have written as i mentioned earlier a number of books on your own quite a few uh, but what i think this is your first time collaborating with someone is that right it is the novel is heat two which i have co-written with the iconic legendary writer, director, Michael Mann, who uh, wrote and directed Heat, the uh, the film starring Al Pacino, Robert De Niro, Val mm -hmm. Kilmer, 
Natalie Portman uh, from 1995. And the novel now is a prequel and sequel to that film. It's a big saga, action-packed, high-octane, a lot of drama takes place uh over a couple of decades. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah. And after the movie takes place over a very short slice of time, a, yeah. a few weeks in 1995, about a master thief uh, who is who lives to take down big scores and the relentless LAPD detective who lives to hunt people mm. who do mm. that. So uh, it's about their conflict, uh, the rapport they uh, they actually build and then their their deadly uh, their deadly confrontation mm. after a bank heist goes wrong and turns downtown LA into a war zone. So <laughs> the novel starts the day after the end of uh, the day after the end of heat with the the last survivor of uh, of the of the crew Val Kilmer's character Chris Hurlis uh, desperate to escape Los Angeles. He's uh, near dead from a gunshot wound, half delirious. He knows that his life is completely blown up. Uh, everybody's hunting him. The question is whether he'll uh, be able to slip out of the city, uh, having to leave his family behind and uh, what's going to go on. And then it jumps back in time. Uh-huh, yeah. to, uh huh. Yeah. Several years earlier when the, 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 the crew is living high and big and taking big, huge scores in Chicago and on the you know the U.S.-Mexican border. Hannah's a, a homicide detective in Chicago. It jumps ahead to years uh, years later in Paraguay, where Chris has uh, has been um, managed to to escape to. It comes back to L.A. It goes to Southeast Asia. It's a it's a big canvas with a lot of drama. And a lot of action, and I cannot tell you how thrilled I was to be asked to collaborate and write this thing. And I'm just uh, incredibly delighted that it is finally out in the world. Well, that's amazing, and uh, I mean, it sounds so intriguing. Both, you know, from the perspective of someone who's seen the movie, um, and the idea that it intertwines kind of crime and also action together. I mean. Um, Excuse me, if people are not familiar with Michael Mann, he also did The Last of the Mohicans, The Insider, Ali, um, Miami Vice, and Collateral, uh, maybe even others as well. And so I have to ask, did you, when you were honored to work with him, that's fantastic. And I was curious, did you have to watch like all of his movies just in case he like asked you something about one of them and you're like, oh yeah, no, I remember that scene. I did. I, I did not have to. I it was my pleasure, to, of course. Uh, there you go. Right, right. To reacquaint myself with these movies and yeah. television shows that I have loved since uh, forever. I am a huge fan of Michael Mann uh, yeah. since he did the Jericho Mile, which was a you know uh, his first feature mm. way back when. Uh, all through Miami Vice, uh, Crime Story. Uh, like you said, collateral heat, especially yeah. that was, you know, it's just such an iconic classic film that you can watch over and over again. And I had watched it a number of times before anything concerning this project even uh, became a glimmer on the horizon because yeah. it's just tense and it's a roller coaster. And, the, and no matter how often you watch it, the action always pops. The characters always seem to have greater depth as, uh, as with, with, in, with increased viewings. 
and it's the best heist movie ever made. So <laughs> I, I, I was a huge fan and yeah. um, it did not bother me a single bit to watch Heat another 10, 20, however many times to, <laughs> to make sure I knew it inside and out. Oh my goodness. That's cool. Um, now it's interesting because um, so um, people like to put things in genres, right? Like this is a suspense or this is a romance or, you know, this is drama or something like that. And I feel like, you know, that m movie, although it's heist and crime action, they're, his movies aren't super easy to sort of like pigeonhole, I guess. And it's kind of the same with some of your books. I mean, you've done some suspense, some crime and mystery. How do you see the relationship between suspense, let's say, and mystery? Do you see them related or are there different dynamics at play with those different types of genres that, that uh, you try to tap into? There are subtle differences in the dynamics. I think a lot of that relates to reader expectations mm. or viewer expectations as much as anything. Because when I first started writing, I had an idea for a novel and I just wrote it. I had no idea that there was a, that people would try to classify it as maybe mystery, maybe suspense, mm -hmm. maybe yeah. thriller, uh, maybe crime. It was all very amorphous to me, just uh, pouring the story out on the page. I think mystery classically uh, involves uh, a, a murder and the, the plot is organized around the quest to identify and capture and bring to justice the murderer and features a detective of some sort whose job it is or avocation it is to do that. Uh, crime uh, can be uh, a caper story, a high story mm, uh, where, yeah. the, where the criminals are the protagonists. Uh, thrillers tend to play on a larger stage where the fact that uh, someone is dead is just the first hint that things are really <laughs> going to go wrong from here on out. And there's going to be a lot of uh, action and uh, and high stakes and uh, lots of countdown clocks and uh, mm -hmm. people with their backs up against the wall with time running out, which is what I love to write above yeah. all no, else. No. <laughs> um, someone told me one time, she said, a mystery, in a mystery, the detective is one step ahead of the readers, but in suspense, the readers are one step ahead of the characters. And I was like, I don't even, what are you talking about? And she's like, well, in a mystery, the detective might take action or do something and deduce something right before the readers or the viewers do. And that's, you know, that moment where we're like, how did they figure that out? And then they explain it or whatever they do. But with like suspense, often we see danger and peril that the characters maybe don't see yet. Don't open the door. He's right behind the door. And so in that sense, we're like a step. I thought it was pretty interesting. Like I'd never heard that kind of description before. And, um, I just thought I thought it was fascinating to to think about the different dynamics, you know. No, that's a great way to put it. Um, was it? Uh, um, yeah, it's suspense. The the often the audience has more information than yeah, the characters, yeah, yeah. and that creates a sense of of dread or apprehension. Mm -hmm. uh, was Alfred Hitchcock famously? talked about a scene where two characters come into a restaurant, sit down, chit chat for five minutes, and then a bomb under the table explodes. Mm. There's surprise, but there's no suspense because yeah. everybody was just being bored out of their wits by this. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, on the other hand, if the scene opens with uh, a mysterious figure planting a bomb under the table and smoothing over the tablecloth so it's uh, invisible, <laughs> and then the characters come in and sit down and start to chit chat, then the audience has more information than they do and is going to be worried uh, about their safety and the outcome of the scene because yeah. the audience knows there's something ticking under there and the characters don't. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that is a great example of uh, kind of as we, as we interact with readers or in, you know, in a movie of uh, the audience, when and how do we reveal information to them and how, you know, how does that affect them? Does it create dread, apprehension or excitement, surprise, and, and all of those things. Um, I feel like uh, sometimes sometimes people will say something to me, like I'll read their manuscript. I'll say, "Well, I don't, you know, I don't quite understand what's going on, or whatever." Or why don't you just tell us the the danger? And they'll be like, "Oh, I'm trying to keep you in suspense." I'm like, "No, you're actually keeping me from suspense because, like, if I don't know there's danger there, I'm not going to be in suspense." So right. suspense is really revelation uh, of information, and mystery is where you hold back some of that information. Precisely. Yeah. yeah. And my uh, most of my novels, um, well, there are a lot that have a mystery element that mm -hmm. uh, if there's a uh, my my unsub series is about a FBI profiler who is, uh, you know, she's hunting the killers, mm. hunting predators. So she is trying to find out that I mean, the, the, the very name of the series tells you that it's about an unknown subject. That's yeah. what unsub stands for. So there is mystery in that. But often yeah. I make sure that uh, that some characters have some information and other characters yeah. don't. And that also accomplishes the same thing. And uh, heat too, there's uh, there are there are some surprises, but but uh, uh, the audience is pretty well running right alongside. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the 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 characters as they're as they're plotting and reacting and fighting their way here and there. Now, um, you, okay, so you just mentioned that you deal with some you know gritty crimes in your in your stories, serial killers, and you know, uh, in the new book, you know, has some gritty crimes and so on. How do you get into the place of writing about some rather dark characters? I mean, uh, we've. I've known you for a number of years. You're always smiling, like always have like a positive attitude. And all of a sudden then people read your books like, where did this come from? She seems so positive and like encouraging. And all of a sudden I read this and I'm like, there's a dark side to Meg. I don't know. We all have that. And <laughs> as uh, thriller writers, yeah. we, uh, we have the great good fortune to be able to, um, to to draw up and exercise our demons on mm -hmm. the page where uh instead of perhaps uh, stewing over them or uh taking them out <laughs> on some poor unsuspecting barista somewhere when we're in a bad mood so it's uh, i don't think that there's any anything more than a surface disconnect between the idea that someone can uh can be an optimistic uh, outgoing <laughs> a uh, person in their daily life while being able to go down to the basement as mm -hmm. Stephen King says and oh, yeah yeah and bring up all the stuff that's that's down there from our our pasts our imaginations from uh, from the culture or history or myth or whatever yeah i um 
I kind of do the same, you know, some of my books. And this lady came up to me one day. We were at church and she comes up to me. And she goes, Steve, I am seriously worried about you. She's like, I'm praying for you. After reading one of my books, I was like, okay, I'm okay. Really? I'm okay. It's just this book. It's like, no, seriously, I am worried about you. I'm like, it's, it's really. Yeah, I've had that. Somebody said, some friend of my parents said, Meg was such a nice Catholic girl. Oh, okay. I'm not in fourth grade anymore. I hope my, oh, my, my horizons have expanded. <laughs> so. Oh, that's funny. Um, so what are some of the keys to creating frightening villains? Well, they need to be fully human to be mm. num number one. If you create a stick figure, someone who twirls their mustache or mm -hmm. just is a, is a stock character, uh, readers are not going to engage or feel that they're they're dealing with a, an actual antagonist. Mm. A villain needs uh, some redeeming characteristics. Yeah. They need and they they need to be intelligent or at least cunning. Mm. They need to uh, possibly be imaginative or at the very least uh, driven. Mm. They need to have uh, some huge overriding goal that may be monstrous, but that they are dedicated to and that they are convinced in their twisted vision is justified, at least in terms of their own life. So you need to have someone who is relentless, who will not be mm. dissuaded from their task. They're not going to have, you know, uh, their regular weekly coffee with their knitting <laughs> And have someone say, you know, you know, dude, <laughs> all these carjackings and uh, you know, <laughs> home invasions—they're they're not they're not actually that cool. Maybe you should uh, you know join a softball league. And the guy, you know, he's not going to say, oh yeah, you, yeah, that's probably a better. Yeah, course. that's a good choice. Yeah, they are they are going to be they will not stop. That's what they need to have a deadly goal um, that opposes uh, what your hero or heroine is after, and they are not going to stop. Actually, that's one like what you just said in like the last two minutes is one of the best descriptions I think I've ever heard of creating frightening villains. All of the things you listed, I think, were were great and spot on. I I read a book recently, and like the villain was kind of this neo-Nazi supremacist kind of guy. And of course, we all like, okay, we hate him, but he's super one-dimensional. Like, like there was no nuance to it. And all of his henchmen were the exact same. They're all like these skinheads or whatever. And I was just like, totally not engaged with the story. It was like, I knew I should hate this person. I didn't agree with anything they did. They were kind of just a cardboard stick figure, like what you said. Um, how do you create a nuance or the um, the depth within a, a an antagonist where he justifies what he's doing and we identify with him, but don't justify it as well? There are a number of ways. Yeah. Classically, you can round him out by showing uh, the, the other parts of his or her life, mm. where they've come from, uh, what their what their history is like, their childhood, perhaps. Mm. Uh, what what they were they pampered? Were they abused? Uh, can you identify with something in their past? Mm. Are they? Do they have something that they do uh, that uh, seems seems normal? I don't know if you've been watching the old man, uh, the the series with Jeff Bridges, John Lithgow, 
but there's a there's an assassin in that and he's introduced well you know there's an assassin running around but the when you actually meet the guy you don't know it's him because he's sitting on a bus stop talking to his grandmother hmm. about yes he's gonna yes he's gonna stop and make sure he picks up her prescriptions and he's speaking uh, so kindly and gently to her that uh you're you're totally shocked when he gets another call <laughs> so, yeah, i've heard that show good it's on my list i want to check it out. i'm sorry go ahead Villains have their own lives. They have <laughs> yeah. they have uh, families. They may have pets. They uh, they have their own enemies. It may just be the guy at the dry cleaner store who always you know uh, overcharges them or something. But they've got they've got their own problems. So yeah. make sure that 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 they seem they seem in their own lives to be a a, a real a real person. And their goal in their own eyes needs to be justified to yeah. them. For some reason, is it is it ideology? Is it money? Is it honor? Is it family? Their mm. goal does is not going to be a good one. It's going to be <laughs> twisted because because something in their life has twisted them, mm. uh, so that their vision is uh, is occluded. But uh, creating that kind of a character makes it more interesting because you almost wish you could say, "Hey, uh, please wake <laughs> up. Please look around and see what you're really doing." Yeah. No, that's good. Um, and some people, okay, so let's flip the table a little bit. As far as like the main character, the protagonist, um, I assume you do some of the same techniques, trying to really flesh them out, make them three-dimensional and so on. Do you feel like it's important to give your main character a fatal flaw? Like at writers' conferences and stuff, people are often told you need a fatal flaw. And um, I don't know, whatever it is, the character has uh they're scared of heights or whatever it might be and then of course at the climax they have to face their fear so what what's your th what are your thoughts about the, the fatal flaw kind of thing i have not given any of my protagonists a fatal flaw they have plenty of flaws because again <laughs> they're they're people yeah i think fatal flaws uh if you're writing noir you better mm. you better have a have a character with a fatal flaw that uh that that trips them over into a, a descent into into hell mm. but all of uh, my characters have uh, have something they have they have lives they're too driven they've you know they've had uh, their upbringing has been uh, fractured by divorce or absent parents or or whatever in heat too all the there are several protagonists really mm. and they all are um deeply flawed Vincent Hanna who is the the cop the robbery homicide detective he is he again he's brilliant he's relentless he's driven he's also uh we find out in the in the novel that he's a vietnam vet who mm. uh got through some of his, you know the battle of way with the uh, with on dexedrine so mm. that's uh, always been something that uh, that has haunted him uh, you know the the need for the need mm. for speed so to speak <laughs> And who and and the 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 fact that he can never satisfy his urge to mm. he, he doesn't know what he's hunting he just has to hunt. Mm. Um, okay. Chris Chaherlis, the Val Kimmer character, who we find out his uh, you know his his mom was a go go dancer uh, and, <laughs> uh, at a biker bar, and he really had no no parenting growing up. Uh, he's a he's a gambling junkie uh, early in his life. Um, he messes up everything in his life except when he's on the job. Hmm. On on the job, he's sober and lethal and focused. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's cool. That um, you know, you've really 
worked with Michael to really think about the backstory of these characters to really, you know, look at um, the fact that they have lives and that the lives, their pasts impact them, but don't necessarily completely define them. I think that is a really important um, kind of aspect of stories. As some people, you know, will have like one event in the character's past where they're like, that's his like defining moment, which I understand, but, but I like characters where there might be a defining moment or, or several of them, but instead we see their, the big picture of how they became who they are instead of just like, you know, well, um, you know, he's a serial killer because his mom didn't hug him enough when he was 11 or I don't know, whatever it might be, you know, it's like, yeah. Yeah, it, it's it has to be organic to the character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that if you just if you're just like, oh, I got to come up with a fatal flaw. Um, I know, right? <laughs> they're afraid they're they're terrified of bees. <laughs> we just start right, just well, like, in a wheel and we'll see what see I what know. pops up. Yeah, that, that's that's going to sound feel very artificial when they're forced to confront the killer at the hive at the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? That's the thing. I think it makes it predictable. Like whenever you. Uh, have that or whenever people start talking about oh you have to create this whatever fatal flaw then i'm like that seems to make the story too predictable and because you know exactly that the climax what's going to happen um when you write your your books kind of are known for kind of twisty turny stories like that do you do you ever write a story and like the twists that come up surprise you like while you're working on on the story or do your stories kind of come to you and, you know, beforehand and you write it, I don't know, or have you plot it out or write it out or something like that beforehand? I do both. I, I do mm. outline. I do brainstorm and think through the story beginning major turning points and, mm. and over and over. And I, I write a, a, you know, a kind of a story treatment because okay, I need yeah. to know where the story starts and, and where it's going to end to see if the end is actually the right end and hmm. knowing where it ends have i started in the right place yeah so uh twists do uh pop up in my mind sometimes mm -hmm. often because i'm staring at an outline or at a scene and thinking this is this is this has become predictable yeah so uh and and when i i have taught i i, I teach a lot of workshops and seminars and i actually gave a uh a craft fest course on plot twists because so many of my students asked how do you how do you put in a yeah, twist yeah. so uh, sometimes uh sometimes it comes to me sometimes uh, i stop if i feel like i'm getting predictable i stop and think what's why is this predictable this because mm. you've seen this this story developing in this way in a whole bunch of other books you've read or movies yeah. you've watched you pause and you say okay what else could happen yeah so really stop and think uh once i did turn in a an outline for a novel and the the, the comments i got back fortunately i had not written the book yet was oh, like, okay, okay there's, there's a this this big set piece uh in the in the middle of the of the of the story uh it is it's dramatic and visual and completely predictable Oh no! <laughs> uh, that, how, what what would happen if you flipped uh, flipped two of the characters and their roles? And I thought, first I thought, oh no, this is. I felt I I hung my head. Yeah. Dang. Uh, and second, I thought, well, if I flip the flip who's playing which role, then the whole story opens up in a in a, 
in an entirely different way. And so I, I did it in the second half of the book was much more ambitious and twisty and surprising and suspenseful than it otherwise would have been. No, that's amazing that you were that open, receptive, you know, to some notes, some feedback. Um, and I think that that receptivity to, to not only feedback, but also responsiveness to the story. Like, I like how you mentioned, you know, if you're working on a scene or whatever, and you say, this seems predictable, you know, how can I look at the expectations, how I've set it up and maybe go in a different direction. Being receptive to the story as it unfolds, I feel like that's pretty pretty important to avoid being too kind of by the books or cookie cutter formulaic kind of a story. Exactly. So, and it's also fun. It's really fun to, to come up with, uh, with brand new twists, surprises. And that was one thing that I, I learned again on the, the new book, working with a, with a co-author yeah. was seeing the, seeing the twists and the, the, the way he came up with the, his own ideas to like, amplify scenes in, in ways I could never have predicted. It was absolutely uh, fun to say, why don't we do, hear him say, why don't we do this? And I'm like, whoa, yeah. That's, that is cool. So you guys did not work from a specific detailed outline, but instead allow the story to really morph as you planned it out. Uh, yes, no, yes, yes. <laughs> yes, no. what? Uh, What's the question again? Brief, brief background, heat two, uh, has been in Michael's mind for uh, years, maybe decades. Oh wow! Yeah, that he had had done Heat, uh, and again, it was a very tight slice of these characters' lives. Uh, and he he knew where they had come from, who they were. Mm. For the movie, he had written biographies of all the major characters mm. and that stuff that did not make it in the film, but he gave to the actors, huh. so they yeah. would know who these guys were, and that could uh, inform their performances so he had all that material it was like a treasure trove wow. and he knew where well the survivors of the movie where he wanted some something to happen afterwards so he had he had the story concepts the, the yeah. he wanted to write more stories from the world of heat mm -hmm. and uh before and after so when we started talking and uh just started working together. He had the he had the concept, the premise. Mm. He had several of the big turning points, and it was uh, how we were going to develop all of that and uh, flesh it out, uh, flesh out the the characters that he he knew how who were going to be new uh, allies, antagonists, wow. villains. Where was the how big could we make the story? Uh, how surprising <laughs> and dramatic and realistic as yeah, well. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, there was, we wrote a short kind of a, a very short story treatment outline, just, you know, like less than 10 pages and then uh, started writing, but you know, it was constant, write draft, send the chapters oh, off. Wow, send yeah. the, you know, we swapped chapters back and forth and we're constantly rewriting and uh, revisiting everything. Wow. For, for quite a while, which is fine. That's the way, that's the way I like I to know, work. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, a lot of people, uh, when they first start writing, they're like, okay, I'll do a story, I'll do a draft or two, and then send it in or publish it or whatever they do. But even from what you just said, it sounds like to really create a story that resonates, that's firing on all cylinders, I mean, it does take time and revisions and just the courage to be able to go back and maybe change what you had worked on to, you know, to fuel the right uh, direction of the story. It does. And... Yeah. um 
writing with the collaborator, we, uh, I mean, we, we did a, we did a first draft. Yeah. Uh, publisher <laughs> really liked it. Oh, and, wow. uh, then we decided that uh, we needed to the, that the next draft could could be better, especially the 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 finale that uh, that we could we had uh, we could raise the bar and uh, and clear it. So that the 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 time we actually met for the first time uh, because uh, we had been working together virtually for a year oh, because wow. of COVID. Yeah, um, when we finally sat down across uh, you know the desk at in Michael's office to hash it out uh we knew the characters we knew uh we knew the story we knew we we wanted the action to be intense uh yeah. and to equal anything that Michael has put on screen and if if you're a fan of his as i am you know <laughs> find that the action in the book how are you going to uh, do that <laughs> we needed it to rival heat and collateral and yeah. uh and manhunter and um miami vice and everything so really really putting our noses to the grindstone and um and and getting it over the over the finish line was um challenging but extremely exhilarating how, how did you get started uh with writing was there someone who inspired you back in the day when you were first exploring this possibility i had always wanted to be a writer uh, yeah. growing up i just i just thought that creating uh, having people listen to the stories you created out of your own imagination mm. was uh was pretty incredible and uh, yet I did not, you know, major in English or in creative writing, yeah. but I took a, once I finished all my uh, requirements for my economics degree in college, <laughs> I took a creative writing course and my, uh, the the teacher, my, the, the TA uh, encouraged me to send out one of my the stories mm -hmm. I wrote for, uh, to, to submit for publication, which was incredibly yeah. uh, validating and confidence building that was his, it actually was um, Ron Hansen who became a well-regarded novelist on his own he wrote yeah. many novels including uh, the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford oh, wow. which was made into a movie with Brad Pitt yeah. but having him you know you know say you know tell me to come back at you know before I ducked out the door to say you know this one's got something uh send it out see what you can what, what you can find and uh I did. <laughs> and it yeah. was, uh, that, that, that told me that, uh, it was, it was worth pursuing. So it took a long, long time before I ever got a novel published, <laughs> but, but that was always there in the back of my mind. I think a lot you? of authors, you know, Oh, uh, two, well, probably two things popped to mind when I was a kid, my uncle always told us stories whenever we would get together for holidays. And so he would take the kids into a corner of the room, get this look in his eyes. I'm going to tell you a story. <laughs> Usually scary story, campfire stories, you know, stuff like, but we loved it. And I, I just fell in love with stories and storytelling. And then when uh, I started to make up stories, but I never thought I would be a writer or storyteller or anything kind of like that. And, and then when back in maybe 96, I was writing for this magazine and they flew us out for like a weekend retreat. We were contributing editors to this magazine. And so um, the uh, the editor of the magazine says, so Steve, what do you do when you're not writing, you know, for us? Cause it's not a full-time gig. It's just a freelance kind of thing, you know? I was like, well, I do this and that or whatever. I work part-time here. And he's like, but you're a writer. I was like, I'm not a writer. I'm just this guy who does this. And he goes, no, Steve, you're a writer. 
And I was like, I'm a writer. <laughs> and so, oh yeah, it was, moment. so it was this moment where I was like, okay, I'll do other stuff. That's fine. Pay the bills, whatever I need to do. But, but I'm at my core, I'm like, I'm a writer. And so just kind of like you, it was like this affirmation. Um, and uh, I still remember, and it really inspired, inspired me to really pursue writing. Yeah. So, and I, I will add that it took me a long time to realize that I, I needed to track down uh, Ron Hansen and, and oh, thank yeah. him for encouraging me that, you know, here I was this shy kid in this college class and that uh, he told me to, that I should try to submit and I did and that uh, I'd gone on to, uh, you know, to publish many books wow. and I won an Edgar Award and everything because yeah. gratitude towards your teachers or your your mentors never goes awry. No, that's good. That's I like that. It's good reminder. And and uh, for anyone listening, if you don't have that, you know, encouraging person, to find one. Like literally, if you have a mentor, if you have anyone to encourage you, um, look in the mirror and tell yourself, "I can do it." I know it. Can, it can be frustrating, you know, as you if you get rejected by an editor, they pass on a story or whatever, an agent doesn't love what you did or something. Um, but uh, but confidence is important. Uh, you and persistence, right? It's like you, you've got to believe in yourself and you've got to stick with it, even though it's not, it's not easy. And very often, it's just a slog in some in some ways and sometimes, but, um, but yeah, but perseverance is really important. And yeah. if it's your dream, persevere and find a way to improve your craft as yeah. well. I mean, I know you do so much, uh, to, to pay it forward to other writers, to people who are coming up or aspiring, but, but read and yeah. uh, study, study the books you love, study books you think don't work, uh, take classes, mm. read books, watch movies and television, just inform yourself and educate yourself and keep going. <laughs> um, has has becoming a writer I, I spoiled you or in any, or, uh, what I'm trying to say is like, okay, can you read a novel without analyzing it? Can you read like someone else's book and be like, oh, just, I'm just totally enjoying this. Or do you find yourself, oh, they should have said this, or they should have done that, or uh, kind of editing it as you go. How, how does that work for you? It's, it's unusual now yeah. to, to read a novel or watch a, watch a show yeah. without analyzing it, especially yeah. because I have, uh, you know, I teach quite a bit. Mm -hmm. So that's just something that had my brain uh, has gone to do. I mean, I was the kid who there was nothing I loved more than just getting a big fat paperback and yeah. having a weekend where all I needed to do was, you know, squirrel myself away in some yeah. corner of the house and read and be in another world for, you know, 400, 500 pages or yeah. whatever. So I know now that if I find myself lost in a story, then this is this is an author who's who's got something special and whose yeah. work I will really uh, come back to. How about you? I am I'm very similar, very much the same way. I've found that when I start a novel, it's I'm, I actually don't finish. Like if I'm reading a novel, and I think Stephen King said this in either one of his books or an interview that I heard long ago, but he said, never finish a story that's written worse than you could write it. 
So if you read, no matter who you are, it's not arrogance. It's just discernment. Like if you're reading a book and you're like, literally, I could write better than this. This is just a waste of my time. He's like, well, don't finish it. You have so many amazing books out there. So many stories uh, to watch or to read and to watch and so on that. Um, so I actually, I'll set a book down if, if it's just not engaging to me anymore. And, um, but when I find those, just like what you said, when you find a story where you just, you just disappear into it, whether it's reading it or watching it and you don't find yourself analyzing or rewriting or whatever, man, those, I just love those moments when when I'm taken away. That's the whole goal of really, you know, what we're doing. So this has been an honor to speak with you and a pleasure as well, just as you share some of your insights and passion for writing and for your new book. Um, is there anything else you want to tell us about Heat 2? I would tell fans of Heat, the movie, that this has every bit the action and uh, dramatic storytelling that you loved in the in the film and yeah. you're you should grab it. I will tell people who might be new to the story that it's a it's a standalone thriller. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, you can you can pick it up, and on page one, you're going to be thrown into a story of uh, escape, survival, revenge, redemption, uh, crime, uh, and uh, with the, that it's that it's going to carry you along. I hope, and uh, and and so grab it. I'm uh, extremely proud of it and uh, really grateful that I was given an opportunity to um, to, to shoulder the challenge of, of working with Michael to, to bring it to life. I noticed that James Patterson said, Michael Mann's Heat is one of my all-time favorite movies. Michael Mann and Meg Gardner's Heat 2 is now one of my favorite suspense novels. So congratulations on that and, uh, and just the release of the book. We're excited about it. And I hope our listeners will all check it out definitely um read it I, i'm sure there's an audible is there an um uh, an audio yes, book a, as well as well there so. is an audio book also out narrated yeah. by peter giles who's a an actor who's a fantastic narrator so if you're a if you're an audiobook fan uh it's waiting for you yeah excellent so any um closing words of encouragement or advice to other authors or aspiring storytellers out there uh Persist. Mm. Uh, work on your craft and uh, hang on to uh, your dreams and uh, persevere. Excellent. Well, Meg, thanks again for being on the show. Is there a place online where people might be able to connect with you? Maybe if you're on social or if, or if there's a website that you'd like to direct folks to? Sure. Uh, my website is meggardner.com. My social, on, I'm on Twitter mostly at Meg Gardner One, M E G G A R D I N E R, numeral one. <laughs> Facebook, Meg Gardner Books. Uh, sometimes I pop up on Instagram as well at Meg Gardner One. And uh, I would love to engage with readers. I, I talk about books, writing, everything. So, uh, so hit me up. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. Thanks, listeners. Thanks to all of you for tuning in for more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews. You can always search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you might listen to your podcasts, or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts on Friday evenings. Tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone. We'll see you next time.